Hello and welcome to another episode of TOTS. I'm your host, Ben Gardner. Today is going to be a different kind of show. Uh, as I'm sure you could kind of gather from the title, I'm going to be talking about something that I have never talked about before with anyone. This is something that's completely new to me, something that um, this, this is going to be a challenge to talk about. But I think the reason why I want to do this is because I'm tired of hiding. This is something that's a huge part of my life. And to me, to come out about it and to talk about it is, is a struggle, but I think it's something that I need to do. So, um, for the first time I'll, I'll ever be saying this, uh, in public and probably about 95 to 98% of the people that know me, even the people that know me well, don't know, um, what I'm going through, but here goes. I have Tourette's syndrome and I've had it for a few years, um, probably at least five years. I was diagnosed two years ago and ever since all my effort around it has been in hiding it. So I know a lot of people are probably not super familiar with Tourette's or maybe that they think they are, but um, what I've experienced over the past few years, knowing that I've had it um, from people that I talk to about it is, is a lot of misinformation. I wouldn't say it's, it's ignorance because I don't think it's people's faults that they don't know much about it or that they don't have the right understanding of it. Um, I would really say it's, it's misinformation. And I think a lot of that is spread by, you know, Hollywood, the media and, and kind of the stigma around it from them as, as something that's really comical and it's something to have a good laugh about. Um, and I, I mean, myself, even before I was diagnosed, I, I always had tics, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, but I, I never knew that I had Tourette's. And then as soon as I, you know, found out that I was diagnosed with Tourette's, I started realizing like, oh my gosh, I've been laughing at this thing for like years that, that I have. And I, I just couldn't believe it. Part of the reason why I'm doing this is because I want to set the record straight on what Tourette's is, what it's like. This is going to be a lot of information that that you've probably never heard of or that maybe you've heard a little bit of, um, but I'm here to tell you as much as possible about it and what it's like to have it and, and the whole experience behind it, but also the fact that likely there's someone in your life that you know that is going through Tourette's and has Tourette's and you probably have no idea. Let's start with what Tourette's is. So it has a couple of different names. It can be called Tourette's syndrome, Tourette's syndrome, Tourette's. It, there's a bunch of different names for it. But essentially what it comes down to is it's a neurological disorder that involves repetitive movements or unwanted sounds. And those are tics. And they cannot be controlled or easily controlled. And there is a difference between that that I'm going to get into later. So I knew that when I wanted to do this episode, I wanted to talk about this topic. This is not something that's 
super easy for me to talk about, even though, you know, I talk all the time about different complex things on the show. This one, to me, hits home, obviously. So I knew that I needed to have some really good people on to help me explain it. For that, I invited Amanda Talty, who is the CEO of the Tourette Association of America, and Ben Brown, who is the host of the Tourette's podcast. You can find that on Spotify and a couple other places as well. So I had these two on to help me go through what Tourette's is like. And the interesting thing to me was that when speaking with Amanda, she does not actually have Tourette's herself, but she's unbelievably passionate about Tourette's and what people go through when they have it. Listen to Amanda tell me a little bit about how her coworker approached her about a position at the Tourette's Association and how she felt about it. When he approached me about the role of the TAA and I learned a little bit about the condition, um, you know, and certainly learned about the impact that the condition can have on families and individuals, um, that resonated with me. And I, and again, I thought, you know, I could use my skills to really come in and, and help people who were really, um, you know, largely being overlooked and, you know, largely not, not getting access to the services that they desperately need. Like I mentioned before, there's probably somebody in your life that has Tourette's and you're just completely unaware of it. But the problem can be even deeper than that. The problem can be that they're not even aware of it. So Amanda and I then move the conversation into the numbers. And tell me more about the numbers. How many people in the United States is it believed have Tourette's? So it's one in 100. Um, you know, uh, we in the CDC estimate there are about a million people living uh, in the United States with Tourette syndrome or tick disorder. Um, and about half of them are going undiagnosed, which is, which is a lot of people. That's a huge problem. And, and what leads to this, you know, situation where half of them are undiagnosed? Um, you know, we, we really think it's an awareness issue. Um, you know, the media historically has portrayed Tourette syndrome in a very specific way, um, in a very outlandish way, in some ways, um, you know, spinning it to be comical or what they perceived as being comical with the cursing and, you know, the loud outbursts. And that's really not representative of uh, the overall Tourette population. You know, there is a, a section of the population, about 10%, that does have coprolalia, which is the utterance of obscene words. Um, and copropraxia, which is obscene gestures and movements. Um, but the large majority of people living with Tourette syndrome have tics that are a lot more subtle than that. Um, you know, a shoulder shrug, an eye blank, a, a sniffle, a throat clearing. Those numbers you just heard, that's, that's not some fabrication. That's not some exaggeration. One in 100 people, they estimate, in the United States, so over a million people, are living with Tourette's. But 500,000 estimated of those people don't know that they have Tourette's or they're not diagnosed. And Ben Brown has really a, a great take on why that can be such a problem and some of the reasons around why people are not getting diagnosed. It's a really underdiagnosed thing for a number of reasons. One could be lack of medical access or, or financial reasons. Some people are, are ashamed to get the diagnosis. They don't want to get it. There may be some uh, some cultural stigma to it. So 
uh, there's a lot of people out there who are living with it, who don't talk about it and their friends don't know about it. And they're just kind of living silently with it. And that's really a shame because um, the more I kind of get into this thing, uh, the more proud I am of, of having it. So obviously our first issue here is people are not getting diagnosed, but what happens after you get diagnosed? I remember when I was diagnosed, I had no idea what to do. I think for me, it was like being told, hey, by the way, this thing that you kind of have that you you kind of thought there was something more to it, but but that really ultimately it was nothing. This is a medical condition and a disorder that you're going to carry with you potentially for the rest of your life. And when you couple that with the stigma around, I mean, mental health broadly, but also specifically Tourette's in this country and, and in a lot of countries talking about mental health is not it's not a topic that people want to get into. It's it's seen as taboo. Like, don't tell people that you have this or that you feel this way. But really why I'm doing this and why I think people like Ben Brown come out is because it's important to have these discussions. It's important for people to understand where other people are coming from and what they're dealing with personally. I also feel like I was pretty blessed with what happened when I was first diagnosed because my family was really supportive. Um, at the time, I'd only, you know, my mom um, was with me, and so obviously she knew. And then um, I had a discussion with my dad. Uh, and the acceptance that they showed me was, was really instrumental in me starting out right and, and having the right viewpoint around this. Um, for those of you who don't know, I also have three younger brothers, um, and I ended up telling them probably about four or five months after I was diagnosed, um, their response also was, was just what I was expecting and, and what I needed, which was support. Um, but not to the point of we're going to treat you differently, more like, OK, you have this thing and, and we're going to be very aware that you do. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to beat down on you about it, which I think was really important. Uh, unfortunately, people like Ben Brown have had experiences where when they first started telling people it was not as positive. Yeah. So I barely have any memory of my diagnosis when, so I, I was, I was like five years old, five or six. And I, I was definitely aware of things that were different about myself, but because I had never heard of Tourette syndrome before, neither had my parents really. Um, I didn't know there was anything, you know, really that unusual about it. You know, it could have been, you know, like just something kids get or, um, uh, it wasn't quite something people knew that our neighbors knew about. So I didn't have that self-consciousness of, you know, is this something, <clears throat> is this something that's going to get me made fun of? Is this, this going to cost me my friends or, you know, what? So I, I didn't have that frame of reference yet. So, uh, it wasn't until I was maybe, and I do remember, you know, a lot of doctor's visits when I was a kid, them trying different drugs on me. I was on some really heavy stuff. Uh, at a very young age, you know, antipsychotics and things like that. And so it was maybe when I was uh, 10, 11, 12, roughly that age, when you kind of hit that transition of going from elementary school into middle school, 
because in elementary school, people knew I had Tourette and I did get made fun of, but, um, and it did do damage to me. I mean, it caused me to kind of go inward and spend a lot of time isolating, uh, being indoors a lot. Uh, I had a lot of friends, but I definitely felt just, you know, kind of not with them, I guess. So another thing that we've got going on with Tourette's right now is you get diagnosed. And if you're following this path, the diagnosis can be very confusing. Then you're keeping it kind of hidden until a certain point where either people find out or you tell them and you can get made fun of. It can be really uncomfortable. Um, I've had that happen before where I tell people and it seems like all I want to do is joke about it. Um, and it hurts. It's it's a challenge to um, to go from trusting someone with something that information about yourself that you've hidden for a long time and that can make you feel insecure um, and to trust that they're going to take that information the proper way and and treat you with respect um, and then to have them kind of dump that over you and to go the opposite way is it's really tough. Um, so I think what happens with people is when they come out with Tourette's or they tell a couple of people, if they have a bad response and, and somebody is bad about it, the chances that they open up to other people about having Tourette's or the struggles that they're going through is very slim. It goes down, uh, significantly. Because why would you want to put yourself through that again when you could just pretend like it's not happening? When I was 12, that's when I decided, you know, maybe I was 11, roughly at that time period, I changed schools. And I was like, this is not anything I'm going to talk about. I'm going to try to be cool. I'm going to try to make sure that people don't have this vulnerability that they can exploit. And um, I hung on to that into my adult life until, you know, really just a few years ago when I started opening up. So... The big issue that Ben touches on is that exactly what we were talking about earlier. You know, if you don't think that you're going to be accepted and you've had bad experiences in the past, you're going to hide that stuff away. And to me, it comes down to fight or flight. I don't want to constantly have to fight and explain myself and, you know, try and get past people making fun of me and things like that. And, and to put yourself in that mindset and, and put yourself in those shoes for a second and just imagine that you have something that you cannot control, whether it's, you know, a twitch that you're doing or maybe, you know, it's it's a uh, tick that's auditory that people can hear that people might think you sound weird with it. Imagine having to try and explain that every single time that that happens and dealing with people making fun of you. You're just not going to do it. And so, like Ben said, you'll just eventually end up hiding it away. And he did for most of his life up until a few years ago. For me, I try and break out of the fight or flight. I don't think it needs to be that. That's why I'm doing this. I want to educate people on what it's like and help people identify it. Because if you're able to do that and identify it in somebody, you can treat them with respect and not have to question every single thing that they're doing or point it out every single time that it happens. And I think that that's really important for people to understand is that, you know, we can't really control what we're doing. Now, the part 
that gets interesting with this is that there are ways to potentially control the ticks, uh, but in the end, it, it actually ends up making it worse. I'm referring to something called masking, and Ben goes into it a little bit. Describe to me what masking is to you. Yeah, so what I would do is I would almost, with my ticks, with my vocal ticks, or um, so for example, the vocal tick you might have heard a few times so far, I would cough on top of it, or I, I would do just add some kind of natural-ish noise to it to make it less of a, a thing. Um, if someone saw me do it, they would just figure I had some weird kind of cough, but they wouldn't think twice about it. They wouldn't, it's not like a thing a weirdo would do, I guess. So uh, with sort of my bodily ticks, my my neck ticks, I would have these things where I would kind of like stretch my neck a bit, but I would always add kind of like an arm stretch to it or something that made it, you know, just, it's just a normal thing people do. And uh, the more you do it, the better you get at it, obviously. But uh, but it also sometimes like these things merge with your ticks and they become something new. So you have these complex ticks and these compulsions almost. And it's, uh, I, I would say masking was a pretty damaging thing for me to do just because I think it puts so much extra stress on ticking instead of just maybe accepting that, okay, if someone sees it, someone sees me ticking and they think I'm weird or whatever, who cares? Five seconds later, they're going to get a notification on their phone and they're going to be somewhere else in their mind. So that masking that Ben Brown talks about is really relatable to me because that's something that I've been doing for over five years, uh, even before I knew that I was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. So for me, it's been really interesting because exactly what he said, the masking does make it worse because when you build this thing up and, and you're focusing on it and focusing on how bad it's going to be, if somebody finds out, oh no, they're going to think I'm weird. They're going to you know think this or that. They're going to treat me differently. When you really build that up, you're like, okay, well, I can't possibly let anyone hear or see my tics. And so adding things to them to try and make them seem more natural or to cover them up entirely, it only makes it worse and it makes it harder, um, ironically. But a lot of the people in my life that I eventually did tell that I had Tourette's, they had no idea. And it was mainly because I got so good at masking. I'm still masking all the time. I'm really, really good at it. As Ben Brown said, the more you do it, the better you get at it. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that a lot of people with Tourette's feel this need to do it because it is absolutely exhausting. The reason that it it's so tiring is because if you are having what I would call a bad tick day, that's just my name for it, and you're ticking constantly and it's it's a lot and you're around other people and you're trying to hide it, trying to prevent people from seeing it or trying to deal with it gets really, really intense and it's exhausting. Um, I remember a point freshman year when I was having a really, really bad day of ticks and, and it just would not stop before I was even diagnosed with Tourette's. And it was pretty early on uh, in this year um, that I was living with this guy that I, I did not know. He's now one of my best friends in the world, Daniel, uh, and I've lived with him off and on for uh, my entire college experience. But when I had first gotten to know him, I really didn't want him to know that I had Tourette's, so I would really try and hide it. Um, and unfortunately, we came to our first finals week, my first college finals week, and 
the ticks were so bad that I just I had to lay in bed and I was trying to mask them and hide them and whatever. And it it built it up to the point where I just had to lay under my uh, bed cover and just kind of lay there and um, just to try and describe it to someone that's never felt what it's like to have really, really bad ticks. It kind of feels like you're going through a seizure. Um, it's it's not pleasant at all. You can't really sleep. You can't really do much about it because trying to hide it is making it worse. And it's this really repetitive negative cycle of you're just going to tick and tick and tick until it's all done or until you wear yourself out. And so I'm laying there and this was the worst that I'd had it thus far. And I just remember thinking like, I I can't imagine what it would be like to not have to deal with this. And it's it's hard. Um, luckily, I've only ever had it that bad um, two or three times after that. Um, and stress is a huge inducer of the ticks. But if I do get into that situation where it's really, really bad and I can't do anything about it, it is debilitating. And I think that that's something I want people to understand as well, is that it's not just an annoyance. It can get to the point, depending on stress depending on whatever factors that go into someone's Tourette's because it's always going to be different um, it can get to the point where you legitimately feel like you're having a seizure and you can't do anything but try and just ride it out because you don't have control of your own body at this point and and this this feeling that you get is is awful it's like this force taking over your body and making you feel like you need to do this thing and, um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's also, it is challenging to describe to people, um, just the normal everyday ticks, because if it's not really bad, it seems like it's just like a minor annoyance. Like, why wouldn't you just stop? And there's a bunch of analogies out there that are not fantastic. And, and usually actually it's interesting because they're usually come up with by uh, people that work with people with Tourette's, but not actually by the people themselves. So they end up not really being super accurate. Um, but Ben gives a fantastic analogy. And, and I just want you guys to hear and, and try and understand what it would be like to put yourself in the shoes of someone with Tourette's. The best one I've heard is, you know, hold your eyes open and try not to blink. It, you're going to have to do it at some point. Your body's going to take over. And the longer you wait, it's almost like the worse it's going to feel. And the, the more the more heavy of a reaction you're going to have, and Tourette is kind of like that, and ticking is like that. Um, but the other thing too is, uh, I guess, knowing how big uh, depression, anxiety, sleep issues, OCD, other things like that, how big those pieces are also in the community, and those are almost the more concerning points for people, because you know it's it's not fun being depressed. I'm diagnosed with major depressive disorder. I have generalized anxiety. Uh, ADHD, um, myriad sleep issues, which I guess you could just kind of couch in insomnia, but it's, it's been a whole life of that. And not even really confronting that stuff because I think I put so much emphasis on the, the, the ticking part of it and masking that and not talking about having TS because it's, you're not supposed to do that because it's a shameful thing to have or something. And so talking with everybody and and hearing kind of their different angles on having it, it's like every single time I talk to somebody, it's never the same conversation. We have a lot of things in common. 
And a lot of, it's like we speak the same language, but there's always something brand new that I get every single time I talk to somebody with Tourette. Ben also touched on something really important about co-occurring uh, instances of disorders or syndromes and things like that, that surround Tourette's. Um, and Amanda also talks about this because this is becoming a huge issue when you go to the doctor and you do have Tourette's, they're not really focusing on the Tourette's at all. The fact that most people, well, 80% of people living with Tourette's syndrome also have a co-occurring condition such as ADHD or OCD. Um, so now when you go to the doctor, you know, what are you focusing on? You're focusing on the thing that most physicians are more aware of, right? They're more aware of ADHD. They're more aware of OCT. Um, and they're not necessarily looking at those pieces um, in the context of a larger puzzle um, that is Tourette syndrome. So we have covered a lot of information and, and a lot of different viewpoints during this episode so far. And now we've come to the part that's going to be the most challenging. Um, my Tourette's. I feel like I need people to have a good understanding of where I'm coming from and what my Tourette's looks like personally. Um, again, I've never had this conversation really like, like fully in this kind of manner and I've never had it recorded. Um, but I guess let's, let's get into it. So um, I have different kinds of ticks that come with Tourette's. I have a couple of motor ticks. Those are ticks that involve movement. Um, and then I have some auditory ticks, uh, which is sound, obviously. Um, the majority of my ticks are auditory, which is why I've kind of been able to mask them, as, as Ben was talking about earlier. Um, so my motor tick my main one is that I have an eye tick and basically what will happen is it will widen or it feels like it's just not properly open or, or set up. And, and that's really the best way I can describe it is that the eye just feels a little off. And so what ends up happening is I will strain or relax the muscles around one or both of my eyes when it feels like that. Um, and it creates kind of this weird looking um, uh, thing with my eye and it, it almost looks like I'm winking. This has put me in some pretty weird situations before um, just because if you look like you're winking at everybody, some people can get the wrong idea uh, and some people definitely have before, <laughs> uh, unfortunately. Um, but again, my main ticks are auditory. Um, so... If you haven't heard them before, I will do a couple of them just so that you can get an idea of what they are like. Um, so I have one of them that is mainly sniffing, uh, but it also involves kind of breathing. So it kind of sounds like this. So it's it's very heavy kind of breathing through the nose and, and sniffing. Um, and that'll typically happen when I'm stressed out about work or uh, when I used to get stressed out about school, the breathing is is mainly the first one. Um, another one that that happens a lot. This one actually, interestingly enough, mainly happens when I'm watching movies um, that are kind of intense. Uh, and so I guess it's more of an adrenaline thing. Um, I will make a noise kind of in the back of my throat and it sounds like this. 
So that noise, unfortunately, also sounds like something else, which sounds like I'm scoffing at someone like kind of kind of like that, but but a little bit louder. Um, and so the problem with that is that if I am in a setting where it's not appropriate to be scoffing at something like somebody talking and I'm doing that, uh, it, it does not sound great. It sounds like I'm not respecting them or the time or what they're saying. Uh, so that has also led to some unfortunate conversations um, that I've had to have. And I think that is the other thing that I just wish Tourette's didn't kind of take away from me is feeling like I can go into a lot of situations and people are going to take me for exactly what I am and who I am. Instead, if I end up having a tick, it can really misconstrue the situation, who I am, what I'm trying to do. Um, and, and that, you know, that can lead to, um, some strange situations with people. Another aspect of Tourette's that I have not really gone over is that ticks are super complex. You heard Ben talking about it a little bit earlier in how some of his masks actually became part of his ticks. Um, because it is a neurological disorder, it can get very, very complicated. Um, and so ticks can change and develop. They can go away. They can come back. Um, but I've actually had different ones pop up over the course of, you know, the past five years that that I've really been living with it. Um, and one that popped up about two weeks ago that was really intense for three days and then has not happened since um, kind of sounds it. I don't even know what it sounds like. It's it's another kind of nasal thing. Um, I'll do it for you here so you can get an idea of what that sounds like. So it's kind of that that suction in the nasal cavity or the sinuses. It it's that's probably one of the weirdest sounding ones. Uh, and unfortunately, what I am kind of displaying to you right now and that you're hearing is really, really like low level. If it's not a bad day, I'll do that a couple different times a day. And that's it. If it's a really bad day, those ticks get louder and much more frequent. And as I'm sure you can probably imagine, that makes working with people, hanging out with people, um, and, and really just being with other people, it can make it very, very uncomfortable. But I think on the whole, as far as my Tourette's goes, I am finding ways to help channel that energy kind of differently. I'm finding ways to kind of help to limit my tics when I can. Um, and instead of masking, it's, it's kind of replacing those behaviors with different things. Um, so I, I am doing better, but I think that it, it kind of depends on the day. Um, but to help you kind of further understand um, what that's like, I, I do think it is something that people can relate to. And I think Ben puts it really, really accurately when he says this. Tourette is actually kind of a relatable thing, A, because it's involuntary and everybody has some involuntary factor in their life, just something they can't control, something that's kind of a runaway. And I feel like Tourette, just by the nature of it, is, um, you know, it's it, it's it's a different demonstration of what involuntary can mean for your life. But at the same time, everybody has something they're masking, and this is kind of like a, a kind of a creepy thought. But like, let's just say hypothetically, you could be a fly in the wall for somebody's for just one person's day. Just pick anybody out there in the world, and just start to finish from when they wake up, when they go to bed, and you've watched their entire day. Again, creepy thought, but they're going to be kind of weird to you at some point in the day. You're going to be like, what is this person doing? Right. And, you know, everybody has just something that they've masked, something that's peculiar about them. 
All right. And that is pretty much going to do it for our episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. And I want to put something out there. If you or somebody that you know, you think that you have Tourette's or they have Tourette's, please check out the Tourette's Association of America, headed by, of course, our very own Amanda Talty. She was fantastic to have on and the support that the TAA can offer you through support groups, referrals, uh, informational and educational packets. It's absolutely incredible. They are doing fantastic work, and I personally use them for a lot of my needs when it comes to Tourette's. The the stuff that they offer, you just cannot find anywhere else. Huge shout out again to Ben Brown of Tourette's Podcast. Thank you so much, Ben, for coming on. If you guys want to check out his stuff, you can find him on Spotify. Just search Tourette's Podcast, and he will pop right up. He's got some incredible content coming up, and uh, eventually... I will also be on his show, so uh, be on the lookout for that and and a full interview that I will do with him. So, guys, this is going to wrap up our season two. Uh, I mean, it's been an incredible journey. We've had some fantastic people on, unbelievably interesting stories, and all of it was made possible by people like you, my listeners. Thank you again so much for listening, supporting the podcast. If you want to support us monetarily to make sure we can have a fantastic season three, you can find us on Patreon. Just look up Tots Podcast. We have some really low level tiers. It's it's just like a buck or two bucks a month, but even a little bit, every little bit can help us to make this the best podcast in the world, which is what we're going for. That's what we're going for for you guys. And I just want to say thank you as well to everyone who listened to this particular episode because this was not easy to talk about. It was not easy to put together. Um, and so thank you for kind of sharing this journey with me um, to coming out about something that I've been going through for a long time and, and kind of didn't know how to talk about. As always, if you would like to listen to some of our other episodes, best place to do that is our website, www.totspodcast.com. You can also find us on any podcast app you can think of or music app we're on google apple everything you can also check us out on spotify that's where a lot of people prefer to listen to us you just get a bunch of good show notes and all that stuff there we are also on youtube almost every single one of our episodes this season has been filmed and is up on our youtube just look us up there tots podcast if you want to follow us on social media you can do that just Search us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even LinkedIn. Just search TotsCast and we will pop right up. Again, thank you so much for a fantastic season. I will make sure I put out a season two wrap up and I'll see you in season three.